welcome to today's conversation around the curve of Branding Buying Global. I'm Katie Klingensmith, and I am delighted to be joined by my colleague, Francis Scotland, who is the Director of Global Macro Research here at Brandywine Global. I think we started out 2023 with a very different uh, perspective than all of us are ending 2023, and we're going into a 2024, which could provide a lot more transitions and surprises. So it's a particular joy to welcome Francis and get his perspective on all that has been going on and all that we expect will happen over the next year. Well, Francis, just get us started. Central banks have hiked really a lot um, over the past year. Uh, economies have continued to do really well, particularly in the United States. Is it possible that we can avoid a recession? Good to see you again, Katie. Um, let's just back up for a moment before we really dive into that question. So for the past couple of years, I've characterized the major macro developments happening in the U.S. and to a lesser extent in Europe is really the aftershocks of what I call post-pandemic normalization. What we've been going through has definitely not been your typical business cycle. And I think of it more as a macroeconomic earthquake. We broke through the normal guardrails and the economic and financial forces have been trying to get us back on track, you know, ever since over the last, at least over the last few years. So as we close out 23, peer into 24, I think that a lot of this normalization story has already taken place, and yet the investment outlook for, for next year, in my view, hangs on what I think might be the final iteration of this normalization story, which is really comes down to a handful of the most crucial macro uh, and financial variables, which include interest rates. So just for the sake of context, the pandemic lockdowns pushed us into a bust. Then the reopenings plus the massive stimulus gave us this rocket-like rebound across the board, which included crypto, equities, commodities, real estate, economic growth, job growth, price and wage inflation. Normal economic relationships were upended. Personal income and personal spending, for example, zigging and zagging and extreme distortions. And then in late 21, things started to reverse. Just as if almost the rocket ran out of gas, started falling back to earth largely in anticipation of this big 180 degree reversal we've seen in US and European monetary policy. And so things started to come down almost in perfect sequence um, in reverse to the way they went up. Crypto tanked in 22. We saw multiple compression across broad, the broad equity market up to mid 22. But large swaths of the market, like small cap, for instance, have fallen back to and remain pretty close to the levels that were trading in late 19. Commodities have given up half their gains. Some commodities like natural gas, lumber, doing complete reversals. Single-family housing activities retreated 25%. It's now within striking distance of levels that existed in 2019 prior to the pandemic. The real economy has slowed back to a 2% growth handle. Price inflation has been in full retreat now for 17 months. If we look at core CPIX shelter, it's 2% or less on a three, six, and 12-month basis. We know X shelter because CPI method doesn't capture rent inflation very well. And so when you, you measure this thing properly, uh, inflation is much lower. So to all intents and purposes, normalization has brought us full circle back to where we started, which is a 2% inflation economy, 2% real growth. And a lot of this can be explained by you know normalization forces and these rapid improvements that we've seen over the last year and a half in, in the supply chain. So it turns out inflation was transitory after all. It just took 
with hindsight, it took longer to normalize than anyone was thinking at the time, which begs the question, what's left to normalize? And I think the main things left are interest rates and economic policy. The inverted curve is telling us the Fed needs to cut rates in the future and needs to ease up on monetary policy. And the budget deficit has never been this big, uh, considering how robust the economy has been, and it needs to be cut back. What does that mean for, for the economic outlook in 24? Well, historically, the yield curve has flattened, you know, with the, um, uh, with the economy sliding into recession and the Fed cutting rates. And our base case from the beginning has been that you did not need a recession this time for normalization to take place. That expectation was always based on the assumption that the Fed would cut rates or would react to the lower inflation as the economy normalized in time to avert a recession. And by and large, that's still pretty much the core view. Uh, obviously, the longer the Fed ignores this retreat in inflation, the longer the curve stays um, inverted, the higher probability uh, of a recession or some discontinuous event that increases in, in recession risk. So the odds of recession, I don't think are trivial, but still not the most likely scenario because we're so constructive on inflation. The other factor which might keep us out of recession is fiscal policy. The amount of stimulus uh, pumped into the system has been historic. I think the fiscal lift is beginning uh, to fade, but these programs that have been put in place have very long tails. So Francis, there's still some risks out there. Is there the possibility of a hard landing in the U.S.? Uh, there's always the possibility. I mean, you can't rule out anything. But as I said, I think that the main story here, at least in driving um, my macroeconomic outlook, is the is the uh, expectation of falling inflation, which removes any need for the Fed to keep raising rates, increases the, the probability the Fed actually cut rates, which would be very stabilizing. Tell us a little bit more about what you expect from prices. It sounds like the, the decrease in inflation, the disinflation, is something that you anticipated and we've seen. What do you think is next and what will be driving prices going forward? Yes, I've been and remain very constructive on inflation. And if anything, I think that there's a good chance next year the Fed undershooting its target on inflation. So we just look outside of the U.S. for a moment. There's no uh, macro inflationary pressure coming from China. The economy is flirting with deflation. Traded goods prices, which we know are dominated by China, are falling. Uh, the Chinese authorities are being forced into incremental stimulus measures in order to contain uh, property sector deflation. So the economy may be able to, may be able to grow at a 5% uh, growth pace, but that's the slowest pace of growth China's experienced since it modernized, you know, 35, 40 years ago, not counting the pandemic busts. So the, the authorities are pretty desperate for some self-sustaining growth, which is why, which is a big reason why President Xi made the trip to the, to the United States um, in November and spoke to business leaders about encouraging them to, to, to reinvest in the Chinese economy. Governance issues in the economy under President Xi's leadership, particularly in the last few years, have led to an almost complete collapse in foreign direct investment. So it's pretty hard to see... Um, uh, direct investment, you know, scaling uh, back up anytime soon. There's nothing inflationary about Europe. Um, you know, broad correlations between banking money growth series um, point to really dismal nominal growth in this in this economy throughout most of uh, 24. And even when you look at you know Europe's post-pandemic rebound, really never made it back to the pre-pandemic trajectory in real GDP. So this is a region that which may be even more disinflationary than the United States. And in the U.S., you know, the remark of what I think is a remarkable resilience of the U.S. dollar in combination with these external 
uh, disinflationary, deflationary forces is really helping to suppress inflation domestically. So, you know, in addition, you know, all the excitement over artificial intelligence comes with uh, some important macro implications. If AI works to make companies more efficient, and companies spend a lot of money on incorporating AI into their production process to maintain margins, especially in the face of what are now rising real wage costs, that should boost real potential GDP. And other things remaining equal, that would be another source of uh, downward pressure on inflation. So, so summarizing, I think, you know, I think many analysts and observers have come to believe that the retreat inflation is going to level out above target, probably closer to 2.5%, 3%, or maybe even higher. But from the normalization perspective, and with the lagged effects of tight monetary policy yet to be realized, to me, the risks all point in the other direction of an undershoot of the targets. It's a pretty interesting scenario for bonds, and it's been a wild ride for fixed income investors the last couple of years. What else do you think will drive fixed income markets? Yeah, well, you're right. After nearly three years and a 50% hit to long-term treasury toll returns, peak to trough, mean reversion and normalization argue for a pretty meaningful rebound in returns coming from a long-term treasury duration. So I think what we've seen recently is the start of something more sustainable. A lot of ink has been given to this idea that the neutral rate is higher than it was in 2019. I think this issue, issue is real but exaggerated. Fiscal policy, in my view, has had a, a big role to play in creating the impression the economy is less sensitive to rates than before. But with fiscal lift, I think, starting to fade, I think it becomes more apparent that the so-called neutral rate is lower than what many perceive currently. And many of the factors that we've been talking about can and should drive the rally affecting long-term duration. But fundamentally, the a major slump in nominal economic at nominal economic activity should be the main catalyst for a rebound in fixed income. So, you know, the drift from my comments about the normalization perspective, the biggest part of that slowdown in nominal GDP, I think, comes through on inflation and price, less real economic activity. But as I mentioned earlier, if the Fed stays too heavy-handed, then you know more could come through uh, on a weaker economy. If the Fed behaves according to my script, I would be looking for it to cut rates sooner and faster than the market is currently pricing. And so we could get um, you know the scenario of falling inflation and gradually economic, economic real economic momentum might actually build by the end of the year. So that feels like a pretty constructive outlook, both in terms of inflation and growth. What do you think are the biggest risks going into 24? Outside of uh, geopolitical upheaval, uh, the, the the risk of recession that we've already talked about, and of course unknown unknowns, I think the, the, the greatest domestic threat in the U.S. may be fiscal policy in the upcoming election. The, the budget deficit, the current budget deficit is unsustainable given the level of interest rates relative to the growth rate of the economy. There's nothing on the horizon to suggest any material change in government spending borrowing needs, nor do either of the two you know, most likely contenders for president in 24 provide a lot of hope for fiscal remediation. Trump likes to cut taxes, Biden likes to spend money. Because of this uh, macro environment for much of 24 that I've described, I'm not sure this is gonna turn out to be a, a much of a material issue for next year, but it's a really potent source of instability in the U.S. macro outlook, and one which I think is going to require a big adjustment at some point 
in the future, consequences of which would be felt across the economy and markets. As for the election itself, you know, the polarization seems to be stretching the social fabric of the nation. Marginal success by either candidate it could lead to some kind of backlash. And all of that, to me, makes it any significant fiscal consolidation a lot more difficult, especially now with the credibility of American fiscal sustainability is already under scrutiny, you know, given these recent uh, downgrades. I can certainly think of some opportunities that would come up in a uh, constructive growth and constructive inflation environment. But what opportunities are you focused on? If monetary policy story plays out the way we've discussed, then I think we could be uh, in a pretty strong year for investors in general. Valuation-wise, the bond market looks more attractive to me than the cap-weighted equity market. But there are uh, clearly sectors within the broad equity market that are trading at a pretty steep discount uh, to their intrinsic value, which I think would benefit uh, from the scenario I think is uh, possible ahead. So just bring this all together, Francis. Bottom line, and also in terms of just what people are not anticipating, what's the least recognized risks and opportunities in 2020? Um, well, I, it won't be a surprise after listening to all this. I think the biggest surprise is going to be on inflation in terms of how low it may actually uh, actually get. I'm not sure the U.S. will transit into deflation. I think um, you know we'll get some maybe some zero prints, but I think there's a good chance of undershooting the Fed's infl inflation target by a not insignificant amount. And we may be talking a lot about deflation this time year, this time uh, uh, next year. And if the Fed leans into that inflation story and normalizes the curve, we could have uh, at the end of the year, a, a, a year with, which records or goes out with strong growth and very low inflation. Thank you so much, Francis Scotland, for those insights and your outlook for 2024. And thank you everybody for listening to this conversation that's part of the Around the Curve with Brandywine Global. 